What I believe, Philip, is I believe that people have the ability to take control of their lives and to take control of their time, their energy, their, their ability to master themselves. I believe that what people can do is if they change the story they tell themselves, or if somebody motivates them or triggers them to realize that there's more that they have to give, they have more to offer and that they deserve more and better, yeah. but it's going to happen by their own hand. It's not that I think people are making excuses so much as I think that they're buying into negative self-talk. Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. I'm really excited about this episode because I was finally able to sit down with Roberto Blake. Roberto Blake and I have known each other for a number of years, and we hook up periodically at conferences. And we were out at the Social Media Marketing World Conference in San Diego in early 2020. And we were able to sit down and have an interview. Roberto Blake is the founder of the Awesome Creator Academy, where he motivates and mentors small business owners and content creators on how to build their brands and their businesses. He's created over a thousand educational videos on his YouTube channel and regularly speaks on his Create Something Awesome podcast, where he's reached millions of people and has inspired even more to embrace their creativity and achieve their ambitions. If you're asked what dreams and goals you have for yourself, you would probably be able to list them in a heartbeat, but are you actually prepared to take the necessary steps to get there? And when you do get to that place of victory, can you honestly say that you know what to do with it? If there's anyone that can attest to self-actualization being the fruit of being able to take control of your life and the ability to master yourself, it's Roberto Blake. In this free-flowing conversation, Roberto Blake and I talk about a wide range of things from his family life and how that influenced his mindset early on to his nonlinear career trajectory and how that affected his work ethic and how he's overcome depression to get where he is today and his philosophy for doing the work that he does. So enjoy this episode with Roberto Blake. It was a fantastic interview to do, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. Welcome, everybody, to the Brand Design Masters podcast and to the Brand Muse interview series on YouTube. I am here with Roberto Blake, who hey, I have been trying to nail down for an interview for a couple of years. Like, no, I'm so glad <laughs> to be here and that, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've been uh, friends online and offline for a number of years now. So just thank you for having me. So we've been catching up a little bit, and I've been thinking in my head in terms of what would be a great topic for our conversation. And... I know that anybody who's following my work knows about Roberto and probably uh, subscribes to his YouTube channel and a lot yeah. of his content. And so I'm not going to go into the whole introduction thing because I know you know him. I was thinking of what a great topic would be to talk to Roberto about. And as we were talking, I mentioned the fact that some of his tweets lately have been a little tough love and yeah. a little based on kind of life motivation. Yes. And I think that having gone through myself a very watershed kind of break in my career about four or five years ago when I went from big corporate, big agency to entrepreneurship, those kinds of major changes in people's lives, you either have to create that watershed moment for yourself or you're either faced with it, with a layoff or a death of a family member or some sort of catastrophic event that you had no control over, or you have to make more money. You had a kid or you get a house or whatever that is. Talk a little bit about this. People are seeing these barriers for themselves. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I, I recognize that actual real barriers do exist for people, Philip. Like if you're watching this right now, there's probably something that you're going through that is very challenging and it's very real. And I'm not dismissive of that, but I am in my mind thinking about even for the challenges that I've faced in the past or that I faced, like how much of that is predicated on my belief that that challenge is bigger than my ability to meet it head right. on. Yeah. And even if it is literally bigger than my ability to meet it right now, what transformation, what change would have to happen in order for me to overcome that thing? Because the only other alternative to that, Philip, is if I don't make a conscious choice to overcome this challenge, this obstacle, this thing that happened in life, then my other choice is to surrender to it and to right. accept it. So I'm either willing to accept the way things are and my inability to change it, in which case I'm admitting defeat or hoping for a savior. None of those things is very appealing Can't to count me. count on them. Like none of those things is appealing to me. I either live with this pain and with this situation indefinitely right. Right. and am, am reckon, like resigned to my suffering or I'm putting all of my faith and hope in someone or something else to transform circumstances and I'm abdicating all responsibility, but in doing so, I'm giving up all power. And so- And that, that's the theme that's of the, the tweets theme. that I'm feeling when-, when I'm I, hoping uh, it's empowerment yeah. and encouragement. And it's, it's both. It's like, wake up. Are, are these choices you're making de disempowering you in a way? So you mentioned, and I never knew this, that you were a son of a Marine Corps sergeant, right? Yeah. My, uh, in fact, my father uh, ascended to the rank of Master Gunnery Sergeant before his retirement. 27 That's years serious. in the Marine Corps, came to this country with nothing, fourth son, uh, poor from Panama, graduated high school a year early, tested out, and joined the United States Marine Corps and started out the motor pool as a mechanic worked his way up through the ranks. Wow. Throughout um, you know, discrimination in the uh, 70s and 80s, yeah. being a foreigner, uh, being a minority. And in the Marine Corps. And in the Marine Corps, which you know, that was really a, a very different time in our country, in our history. And uh, he had to do a lot to prove himself. He always set a, a, a ridiculous standard because he knew he wouldn't be given any quarter and any slack. And so he set a standard beyond and I think that that was something that uh, was passed on to me from both of my parents. So how did that manifest itself in your life? Well, it, it meant that one, they always held uh, me and my siblings to very high standards of uh, good citizenship, good behavior. They always tasked us with responsibility. They also made sure that we were critical thinkers and independent. Mm -hmm. They didn't want us to follow. It's not that they necessarily wanted us to lead, but they wanted us to be in control of our own lives and our own choices. Because I think when you come from an immigrant family, one, that's ingrained in the sense of like, hey, there are going to be people constantly trying to take power from you. Mm -hmm. There are going to be people trying to lead you or lead you astray. And so that's why I didn't give in to peer pressure as a kid is because my parents kind of like set me on a path to be independent, to do my own thing. And they tried to ingrain in us a healthy sense of respect for ourselves. So you have gone through kind of a watershed period of time like that in your own life too. I know Multiple that you, times. you were in the agency world advertising in New York yes. for a while. And yep. then you, when I first saw your content, I think I saw maybe some of your first five or 10 videos, <laughs> which were like on a, I, it looked like a futon on the floor in a very dark apartment building. And you know, you had much longer hair and you, you know, you weren't styling yourself yet. And I was just totally impressed by that. But it, but when I look at you now, and I look at your confidence now, that is like a major, that's a 
complete flip side. It's a transformation. So when that yeah. transformation happened, when you went from you know your secure agency gig into building your own personal brand, what was that? What was that watershed moment for you? Well, it was incremental because I went from my agency life to working as a marketing manager at another company okay. and then independent, and it was it was all incremental uh, because I'd done freelancing for a number of years on and off, even moonlighting. Um, while the, you were at the agency? While I was at that and while I was okay. at another job because I worked as a graphic and web designer in another company for three years before I was at the agency. So I've always had my own independent body of work, but I hadn't necessarily built the name and reputation for myself and tried to market or, or put myself out there, so to speak. And the thing that changed, it, was, it wasn't all at once. It was little by little, piece by piece, because there was also a learning curve to it. And... The real thing that I was trying to do was, I was trying to take back some control over my life, Philip. I, I realized that you need to have ownership of your reputation and that when you work for someone else, you don't. Mm -hmm. I realized that you need your own body of work because they can't tell you what you can and cannot do and right. what you can and cannot use and what you can and can't say. And so it was a matter of having control over how I was at least spending some of my time creatively because you already know that whatever you think is good or what you think represents your abilities, your style is not always what the either the clients yeah. or the uh, agency or your employer agrees to. And the, right. yet that's tied to your you know, body of work. One of the criticisms that I've had in the past when I first started was a lot of people didn't think I was qualified to teach anybody anything because they were judging me on the work that I had out. And in a lot of cases, you just have to put out what you have. And yeah, in my case, sure. it was what the client wanted is what they paid for. It's what they said yes to. I had to take their direction. Right. And sometimes that meant you had to use Comic Sans. Wait, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> tell you, this is, and this is something that is not really, you know, prevalent in the industry. But one of the things is when I put my portfolio, my work, my client, my agency work online, mm -hmm. I put the concept work online. Mm. Like I, w and I, and I was very obvious about that. I mean, lots of times when you're working on a project with a client, you can do, you know, a lot of concepts, you're going through a number of iterations. And yes. the first work you think is the strongest before it gets dumbed down or tweaked or the VP uh, of marketing comes in. Use my favorite color. That's <laughs> yes, exactly. My niece doesn't like this. Um, and so I would actually take what I thought were the best concepts and put that in my portfolio mm -hmm. on online rather than the finished um, you know work that got produced and went to market because I wanted to I wanted to publicize the fact that this was the work that I felt was the strongest mm -hmm. and represented what so I, I felt was I, you know, the I best agree work. with that and I encourage more people to do self-initiated work I we'll also which is controversial I also advocate for people doing free work but doing free work on the basis that you'll have the leverage of using a client reference, mm -hmm. but you'll leverage more creative control because there wasn't an exchange. Yeah. And a lot of people, they hate that because they keep talking about everyone needs to be valued for the time, everyone needs to be, but I'm about the idea of creating leverage, Philip, so that the value of your time, like I'd rather take zero and have all the leverage to not sell myself cheap and then up in a situation where I had to do cheap work that I could justify the effort into for clients because sometimes you that going above and beyond and doing like the best work you can do doesn't always feel reasonable based on the budget you're given right. and, and again that sounds bad to say but it's also a reality of how much billable hours were accounted for what the price was and then what your standard might be might be in excess of that person's budget and it might feel exploitive to 
do better work for less money. So if I'm going to do that, I'd almost rather take nothing but have all the leverage. Yeah, and do it pro bono. And then also the, the other bad, added benefit of that is that you can do work for a great cause or some cause you believe Correct. in, give them amazing work. And there, and then also their appreciation level is huge because yeah. they're getting you know awesome yeah. work for free. Yeah, for me, I don't, I don't like people downplay working for exposure, and by itself, I think that's even bad rhetoric on our part because exposure has a dollar value called advertising. I mean, anyone who's watched YouTube or done YouTube yeah. should understand that like you can't say exposure for zero dollars when you look at how much. I mean, we we come from the agency world. We know how much people pay for exposure. We know how much they pay for those billboards that they can't track oh, conversion yeah. on, right? Absolutely. But that being said, I believe in working for experience. Because when you don't have a name, and I was trying to build a name, and I was trying right. to build a body of work and those things, you're trading uh, for experience in a way, and also for the reference so that someone can vouch for you. Because that goes a longer way than people would ever believe. And the appreciation level, when you do pro bono, the appreciation level is so high, your reference is going to be stellar. That's Ex the other great thing about it. Exactly. And so that's leverage. So that when you ask for the price that you feel you deserve, the answer yeah. is more likely to be yes. I'm putting myself in a position for that future yes, but that requires an abundance mindset, which is part of transformation, is yeah. instead of like, I don't have any resources um, and I'm desperate and so something's better than nothing, it's about how much am I willing to sacrifice up front now to always get what I want in the future. Right. So. Talk about that. Did you always have that? Uh, I think you have an abundance mindset now. You also have a very positive attitude and a, you know, a level of, you know, self ownership and determination that has driven your career and your personal brand and your, your brand ecosystem forward. And I know that you're now trying to impart that onto your students and the people who follow you and through all of your content. Did you always have that or was that, where did you really develop that piece of it? So I started that way. I would argue that I was a very optimistic, positive, confident kid, yeah. you know, um, good home, not perfect. Um, dad was very hard man to know sometimes and he was also gone a lot because he was on deployments sure and when he wasn't on deployments he was doing a lot of side work as a mechanic because you know um, as the family grew as my siblings came into the picture um, you know some more mouths to feed and for a long time my mother was a very hands-on stay-at-home mom was doing a lot of volunteerism at the school and in the community and then she started going to school for her uh, degree in nursing and then later my parents would divorce and that's when things got a little bit harder mm -hmm. and then um, as life got harder on me, chipped away at that optimism, it chipped away at that confidence. Mm. I got bullied a lot, so my self-esteem and that sense of self-worth um, was starting to get stripped away and my self-image was becoming very distorted. But what I had left was the ability to own my choices so I wouldn't cave and I didn't bow to peer pressure. I didn't let people stop me from being who I am. I just took the, uh, you know, I just took the beat downs at the bus stop for being a nerd and yeah. for being into the things that I liked, uh, being into uh, science and being into computers and being into comic books and then animate. Like I just, I just took the beat down for being able to keep that last shred of myself intact um, at the expense of uh, debilitating all of my confidence and all of my uh, self-worth. And I had to rebuild that confidence and self-worth over a period of time, even working for other people uh, when I started in college, I was working my way through college. A lot of that was stripped away too because I felt confident in my ability to deliver a lot of times and sometimes I would overperform. Mm -hmm. But in overperforming, I had to do things my way and then I kept being told 
do it our way when I was producing the numbers. And so that undermines you too when you, you feel that it's not that you're arrogantly saying, well, I know better. It's that you are producing results and people are happy with what you're doing, but you're not following line. And I kept going against the grain of falling in line. It's like, okay, so I didn't cave into peer pressure. I didn't give up my values to be popular and do things that would make my parents ashamed. I didn't give up the things that I liked to go along with other people to have them accept me. I didn't bow to that. I decided to accept being a misfit or being a loner or having the five good friends and that's it. Mm -hmm. And like it kept just going on like that to where it felt like the price you pay for personal integrity just feels too high and I understand why people don't hold out and don't survive it. Mm -hmm. And it got very difficult and very challenging. I got depressed in my teens and in my um, early to mid twenties and then when I was in the corporate world. Uh, there were office politics. There were you, you're forced to become a yes man for the simple fact that you want to survive and you want to have a paycheck and you need yeah. to take care of yourself. Sure. You're forced to become a yes man, and sometimes you're you're forced to overlook things that you wouldn't like. Mm -hmm. you, you can't always advocate for the customer or the right thing uh, the way you want. You can't always stand up for other people in the company because your head on the chopping block next. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be um, rewarded for being noble. Right and there's a point where you just can't take that anymore if you're me, because again, it goes back to those core principles and values of, I can't not operate in the way that suits exactly who I am. It's too painful. So let's talk about that moment where you, where you made that realization or that decision in yourself yeah. that it was time to not work for the man Fire anymore. me or I quit. Fire me or I quit. And what, which was it? Uh, uh, it was ultimately fired me, which actually works out better yeah. um, in many ways. And that's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's because it's both because I've quit other jobs before. Actually, I've quit every job that I have now that I think about it. I've quit every single job that I had except for um, the one or two times I've been fired on that basis of firing me or I quit. Yeah. Um, and the thing about that. Did you know it was the last one? I knew that that was my preference. I knew that that was my preference, but I didn't. I I have enough humility to where I feel I've also built leverage. It's not that I would never go back to the corporate world if that's yeah. what came to. One, I think I'd just get an exuberant salary now because I because <laughs> I have leverage. I have leverage. Yeah. I have a name. Um, right. Yeah. So let's just be real about that. So it wouldn't be the worst thing, but I have the leverage to work for one of the 20 companies that I really love and that I work with right now right. as an independent. you know, So I could have those relationships. I could work in the creative community and field. There's a few things in tech that I could do. And so I would be happy doing that if I can lead a team or a project and have some autonomy right. and work toward a positive goal that's meaningful. Because the thing that I think, the problem is that I am, in my opinion, a true born entrepreneur. I've had the entrepreneurial bug and tendency ever since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I had all these like little side hustles as a kid. Uh, I did it even when I was working. I always had a side hustle. So I know that there is something in me that likes to build things, likes to communicate with people, likes to, I, I base a lot of my self-worth, Philip, on my accomplishments, my ability to execute. And the way that I create change in a circumstance or in somebody's life. And I've always judged myself by my ability to better a situation that I became a part of. That is how I evaluate my self-worth. I don't know how healthy that is, but that's 
That's what it is for me. So that's very interesting because what you just said in terms of evaluating your own self-worth and how much change you can you can affect in someone's life. Yes. That to me is kind of where those tweets are coming from, right? The tweets that are the tough love tweets, which yeah. are saying, you know, you have to own your destiny and you have to own up to the decisions that you're making and the effect it's going to have on your life. And you can't, you know, you can't soft pedal some of these decisions. You got to get on the horse or, or decide not to. Compound interest always works. It either works for you or against you. That's true in economics, but it's true in life. The compound interest of the decisions to work out, stay fit, eat healthy, drink or smoke or indulge or whatever you're doing, compound interest, that will have a compounding effect throughout your entire life. Whether you, whether you believe in it or not, mm -hmm. it's still there. It's incontrovertible. Let's talk about you. I mentioned before we, we turned on the camera that you had started to do a little bit of content around personal finance. Yeah. And what you just said in terms of a more holistic view of a perfect, healthy life perfect phrasing. And, mo and motivation and how all of those things link together. Um, are As you are doing your content, are you starting to consciously expand it beyond you know, social media, personal brand building, design, the things that you have tech, camera, that sort of stuff. So what I into did, more lifestyle types little, of approaches. A little bit, a little bit, because I, I I want people to understand this, and I've I've come to I've had uh, what they call an epiphany or a come to Jesus moment on this is that almost everything we're doing is a lifestyle. You know, being a content creator is a lifestyle. Well, that is when, true. If you decide to do YouTube, you have to figure out how to make it right size within your life, and I'm seeing a lot of people not make YouTube right size in their life. I know a lot of entrepreneurs, and at one point myself included, mm -hmm. who don't make their business and their ambition right size in their life. Yeah, They don't make their relationship with money right size in their life. And that has consequences. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about this and how do I teach people a common sense approach to what they're doing? And I even gave myself a common sense framework. Uh, and what a lot of people don't understand sometimes is that what I teach is different than what I do because I'm at a different point in the journey than the mm -hmm. person that I'm teaching. Right. And the thing is, I am in um, what you could almost call like a, a demi or half retirement mode in my approach to things is that I have the luxury of tweaking, experimenting, testing, or doing things just because I want to mm -hmm. because I'm not fighting or scrapping anymore. Right. I don't have to. So I don't have to be in growth mode. I can, it's not that I can't grow more, it's that that's not really where my ambition lies. My ambition lies in gaining a further understanding, but doing also what's meaningful to me mm -hmm. versus what might be more profitable or even more popular. Now, someone I'm teaching has completely different goals that are not as, um, I would say, internalized or self-directed mm -hmm. or might not be uh, what you might call- They're not as based in self-actualization at this point. Correct. Exactly so. My current goals and where I am are more self-actualization based, more philosophical. Right. But I have the luxury of that because I'm not, again, in survival mode or scrapping and I'm also tweaking my relationship with money. Well, when we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy and needs to an extent. You're yes. living in the top of the pyramid, but you are teaching to the next level down, where, which are people- Or are the next looking. couple levels or yeah. even the bottom, yeah. Right. Exactly so. But the framework I gave myself for what I, uh, the containers, is basically create, grow, and earn. 
Because mm -hmm. I think that those are fundamental to whatever. What are we creating? Are we creating our personal brand? Are we creating our body of work? Are we learning the craft of creation? Are we learning our creative skills? Then are we growing our audience? Are we growing a network? Um, what are we doing in terms of like the traffic to direct toward the thing that we created? How are we then making um, our influence known on that? And then what is the financial side of that, the earnings? Okay, I've learned this skill. Can I monetize this skill? I created this asset and I have the traffic. Is it leading to a conversion? Mm -hmm. So this is um, holistic ecosystem and it's all interconnected. Now, that's not obvious when someone goes to YouTube and looks at my content, they're doing single serving content. But there will be a couple of outliers that see and understand that this all has meaning or value for them, just maybe not right away or not yet. Now, that's not YouTube algorithm friendly. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly not what's in the best interest of growth for my channel. But I do believe it's what's in the best interest of the viewer. Yeah. And I do believe that it's where I'm at uh, philosophically and emotionally right now in terms of what I want to put out and what I want to convey and what I want, the conversations I want to take ownership of. So you have an incredibly, you know, one of the things as we build personal independence in what we do as creative professionals, and we, you know, we may work for an agency or company, we have a certain sense of personal identity that is wrapped up in that. Our portfolio may be heavily wrapped up in that, but both of us, I know, advocate for establishing a, a personal presence and, um, and, Visage outside of whatever your corporate thing is. Mm -hmm. You're talking that, and the about value of that. You're talking about separating your your internal identity yeah. from your external identity, which is the way that people perceive you and extract value from you. In other words, kind of you. We could argue separating, and this is a phrase that's being popularized that I really like, though. Separating your economic value and what you deliver to the market and that identity, usually your job, mm -hmm. from your human value as an individual and taking ownership of your individuality back and what your identity is as a human being, not as a part of the machine of commerce. You're taking it to a, a, a deeper level in the fact you're separating almost the, the professional from the personal or the professional well, I'm, emotional I'm, from the personal I'm emotional. separating the human from the transaction. Okay. So what we do in our job is transactional. Right. We're uh, people make the mistake of thinking, and we are somewhat trading. Usually, if you work a job, your time for money, mm -hmm. but that's just the bartering mechanism. You're being paid for results, not to twiddle your thumbs, not to sit there and just be there for eight hours and do this. Yeah. You are being paid for the result, theoretically, that you produced in that eight hours. But what no one talks about is in that eight or 12 hours, the result, regardless of the agreement you made is being resold at an exponentially higher value. Oh, absolutely. Because you don't have the appliance and mechanism of the resource, the relationship, and the legal liability and responsibility, and that's why you're separated from the majority of the revenue. When you become an entrepreneur, that inverts, right. and that's the difference, and no one will talk about that. But all of that is just transactional value, which is very different than your intrinsic human value. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop, BYOL.me is a top-tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. 
visit byol.me forward slash Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's byol.me forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. So what I realized was I didn't have ownership of my time. Someone else literally was dictating when I have to wake up. So they were also dictating when I have to go to bed. So it's like, okay, if I don't have control over that aspect of my life, what else don't I have control over? I wasn't in control of all of my relationships or even the ones that I was in control of. I didn't feel like I had control. I, I felt leveraged. But in your work relationships, you have to be around people that you don't necessarily like. Yeah. You have to, and uh, you aren't in control of those interactions. And like I said, sometimes you become a yes man. They have the leverage. And then there is the fact that I didn't have a sense of ownership over anything I created, anything I made. It was what right. they wanted it to be. And then it was, I know I did it, but is my name on it? Where's it doesn't the, even feel like me. Exactly. Where's the recognition? I have no sense of ownership. And that's affecting the, the sense of meaningful work and what you do or value. Right. And I felt like I had no control as a result of many and many of these things. And when you find yourself uh, depressed and self-deprecating and all these things, or even a situation where you might be doing some self-harm or something of that nature, it usually stems from this idea of not feeling in control of your life. And then you'll make less than optimal choices mm -hmm. just because, well, they're my choices. And that's not healthy and it leads to bad things. And so I incrementally had to take back and claw back that control one piece at a time. Mm -hmm. Part of it was doing more independent work. Part of it was doing more of the freelancing thing. Part of it was asserting myself and standing up for myself in my relationships, both in my personal life and in my work life. And that's where I developed um, my affinity for being more outspoken, even as an introvert, and for radical candor, uh, where you know I, it's an extreme honesty almost to a fault, but I'm not doing any of it maliciously. And I'm always thoughtful. No, you're just being transparent. I'm being transparent. I've openly told people in my life why I'm like, and in a calm way, it's like, I have and have been harboring resentment towards you for these reasons. I'm not even convinced that that's entirely fair to you because I've never confront, bothered to confront you before now about these things and about these moments. And that was on me. But now I need you to know that the negativity and the hostility that I've been doing or the way I've been being passive aggressive or all these things, it's because I resented this thing, this thing, this thing, and I never said anything. Yeah. And guess what? That gets us to a lot healthier place when you can have those conversations. It's not fun. It's not fun. And even that, you see the hurt on people's face. Sure. But you're able to move forward if you're doing it from a, hey, this isn't a malicious thing and this isn't like, I want you to know that I was wrong to not deal with this problem and to sweep it under the rug mm -hmm. and that I have been then abusing you for something you didn't even know you were doing wrong or weren't you know aware of how it was affecting me. And so when you can have those conversations and open up with people and when you can be direct and you can be you know blunt with them, when you can be plain spoken with them, it actually is ridiculously healthy. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to work up the nerve because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't want to have to um, put that out there and you don't have to, and you don't want to like, you know, what if they tell you then, <laughs> like you have to be able to accept it back. What if they then tell you yeah. what you've been doing and then you have to acknowledge and take responsibility for that. So it all comes back to this idea of how willing are you to take responsibility and to take your lumps? So let me, let me 
back up to where you went from being an introvert and starting your own thing to still this still an introvert. Well, to this radical side of transparency and not just being transparent emotionally with your, you know, I think um, your communication and the, developing emotional intelligence where you're processing those sorts of resentments and things in real time so you don't build up stuff that you then act on. So toxic. To that. Yeah. yeah. So when you started to put your, put your uh, content out there into the world and show the journey, show the pain, show the depression. I remember one video I saw of you and you were in a hotel room and you were feeling depressed. You were talking about your depression yep. very openly and honestly. And I was really struck by that. Um, and is that, how much of, a, of that radical transparency are you still doing, number one? And number two, do you advocate that other people do? I think you have to work your way to a place of, I'm gonna start with your second question first. What's right for me and what's right size in my life right now is not right size for you in your life it's right like now. like what we were talking about before. Exactly. Right. You have to get to that place. I didn't get there overnight. Yeah. And you have to know what's right for you and you have to take it one step at a time. And your version of that will be different than mine. I can tell you my experiences and the benefits. I'm also happy to tell you where it's gone sideways. And that's fine. And you have to be willing to accept the consequences of those choices. It's not for me to say whether that's right for somebody or to what extent or extreme they should do it. Mm -hmm. um, because that will be different and the results may vary. That being said. <laughs> Even when we do it for ourselves, the results vary, I think. Exactly so. Now that being said, I actually do quite a bit of that. Now I've taken even another leap of extreme where I'm releasing my monthly YouTube income reports yeah, as, a, I that. as a result of wanting like further transparency, not because I believe it's something owed to my audience, but because I feel it's something my audience can benefit from understanding instead of in abstractions and instead of like uh, hinting at things or seeding things one piece at a time of showing one thing here, one thing there, and you could theoretically add it all up and figure this out. Right. Um, it's not all of my income. I'm not there yet. I'm not Pat Flynn. Yeah, I know, I'm not right? there yet. Where, But it is a substantial enough when you add up the YouTube-related revenue streams. Mm -hmm. And I break that down because I also know that a lot of people, that's where their attention is and where their focus is. Right. They're not trying to do everything that I'm doing. And that could be overwhelming. I don't even recommend necessarily doing that. I do a lot. Uh, maybe too much. And so <laughs> I, I, at least this thing, and I know this question exists, and it's a good traffic source to be very real with you, is to just like, how much money I made on YouTube this month? It's a yeah. very straightforward thing that people are curious about, they want to know. And the thing is, it shocks people to realize how, because I go into such elaborate detail, every time I do this, it's an over 1,000 word report and I break down things and there's screenshots and I give all the lessons learned. Yeah. And people are shocked and surprised to find things like, wow, you're still making hundreds of dollars from a video you shot three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. It makes them think, what content can I make that's built to last instead of, oh, flash in the pan or jumping on right. trends. It's like, wow, or hey, if you're doing the certain types of content, you don't even need a bunch of views because they're just worth so much money. And it's an isolated topic where you don't have to compete so much. It's like, okay, views may not be everything or, oh, wow, because you built a reputation, you got you know the ability to earn higher level brand deals or, oh, I did not realize how much more money and how more quickly you can make money from affiliate marketing. Or, oh, well, that's recurring passive income instead of having to be on this treadmill and hustle all the time. Yeah. It's waking people up to something and introducing them into things that were foreign to them, which is always the goal of an educator is to broaden someone's horizons and things like that. So that feels really good. And so I see the benefits of that transparency. And then I have a higher stake in the market because other people are unwilling to do it. 
Mm. And they're unwilling to go to the extremes that I go and to the depth that I go. But it might actually encourage more people to do so, which means we pull back the veil of the industry, the same way you and I have done with uh, the creative services profession. Um, when I started talking about freelancing, I started introducing ideas that a lot of people had never considered um, in terms of how to approach that or leverage. And I was telling people also real numbers Again, your results and mileage may vary, or and also negotiation tactics, yeah. which is largely not taught, is the process for negotiating, the process for vetting, the importance of even saying no to things, mm -hmm. um, the redirecting, all of these different concepts, and even how to find clients online and offline. Like, there's a lot of stuff that people won't tell anyone because they're afraid of competing with them. And I, like, have benefited my entire life from people not holding back and giving me value. I, I've learned so much because people were willing to just give me something and see what I could do with it mm -hmm. and not worry about what happens. You know? so, there's, so there's some form of like, yes, paying it forward, but just also gratitude. I also think I, I got from my parents. My parents were so happy whenever I wanted to learn something new or whenever I could tell them what I learned in a book or talk to them about the book that I read. Yeah. And I would just see this expression on their faces of just being so gratified by um, me absorbing or learning a lesson on my own or by them teaching me something and me getting it and grasping it. And I think I've just spent my entire life one way or another chasing that expression that my parents had on their face of seeing me learn and get value from them. Um, well, now you're doing it with other people. Exactly. You know, I think in many ways that... Um, I mean, DNA isn't destiny or anything, but in many cases, um, for better or for worse, people do end up in some ways mirroring or mimicking their parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you have to learn to take the good with the bad with yeah. that. But I think that um, when I think about it, I really am, I guess, chasing that feeling of what, what will happen like if I impact somebody's life, what can they become? And I think my parents knew they had um, a weird kid and they I think they were really just curious and fascinated about what will he become and so they let me become myself Philip mm -hmm. they didn't tell me what to do or who to be or what career to choose or any yeah, of it I've been lucky that which way is very too. hard by yeah. the way it's very hard you want to protect your kid you want them to have a good life you want them to have a good job you want them to have a good future you want them to be happy and sometimes you think that if you put them down a certain path you can protect them all my parents did was keep me safe and keep me sane as best as they could and make sure that I had the means of survival. Mm -hmm. Because in some cases, they didn't know how to help me because I was a misfit and a weird kid. And the best they could do is point well, me in the right direction. a lot of creatives are, yeah. I think. You know? And a lot of us have to find our own path. I mean, I did a, I did a video recently called Are You a Multi-Creative? And it was, I got so many responses for it um, in the comments because people are... They struggle. Most creative people are creative on a number of different levels. I've always been a musician. I've done design. I got my master's in well, painting. People are multifaceted. Yeah. And creatives, I think, also are creative, can be creative in a number of different things. And early mm -hmm. in careers, or even sometimes late, they have a t hard time focusing either at the expense of being really good at anything or they are constantly torturing themselves by, you know, Doing too many creative things at once. Specialization has been marketed without accounting for aptitude, individual aptitude, mm -hmm. and looking for the overlaps in things. And I think that where I benefited was I recognized the overlap between skill sets, meaning that you, like it's mastery doesn't exist for most people, no matter how long they spend 
pursuing it. Mm -hmm. But it's marketed mastery over one thing is marketed to everybody. But even if you spent your whole life focused on one thing, you may not achieve mastery. And therefore, you're limiting the amount of points you can put on the board. You also are not accounting for the overlap of your ability here translates to you being more than halfway down the path of another ability. Yeah, and I, don't, and I don't necessarily think that it's either or or you should only focus on one with the exclusion of all others. Mm -hmm. I've always, because I've always done multiple things. I've always had one that was kind of like my career where I made money, something that was a hobby that fed my creative soul. Yeah. Sometimes a couple of those things. But that, you know, there were periods of time in my life where I had to focus more heavily on one for well, sure. one reason and give Usually one up. Usually practical reasons, right? Yeah. Like the ability to focus, to make on, a, the thing, make focus a, on the thing that makes you the most money. Yeah, make a living. I mean, I, when I made the transition from being a fine artist to being a graphic designer or going into the fashion industry, that was a huge shift because I realized that I was not going to make it to the level that I wanted in painting and I had to turn my back on painting and start doing more of this thing that I just started to do computer graphics that I absolutely loved. And but was monetizable. It was and monetizable. In demand. But I had personally identified with being an artist, my, a fine artist, my right. whole life, and felt that I was selling out, and that somehow in my turning my back on that, I never had been an artist. It was a very painful transition. Ironically, though, you did the opposite, because the thing is, you chose to not cash in on your fine art and to keep it for yourself, mm. selfishly, which is not selling out, and you decided to monetize something that you were comfortable with sharing and having other people's input and influence over, and you got to keep the purity of your art and your expression for yourself yeah, instead of monetizing But here's it. the thing, I stopped painting. So I didn't actually just go, okay, now this is my purity, I'm that going to be a painter. That would have been the advice, the advice I would have given you would have been to keep painting, but paint for yourself on your nights and weekends. Right, and the, what I said in this video was that I made the choice because painting at that point in my career wasn't serving me anymore. I could put it down, but I could always leave open the opportunity of starting it again if I and when I wanted to. And I actually have just started it back up now, nice. like 15, 20 years later. But that choice to turn my attention and let that go for the period of time because it wasn't serving me was what helped my career explode to what it was, a very, you know, very successful career. And that's a that's a that's a struggle that a lot of creative people have is how do I best um, self-actualize myself creatively? So on a number of different levels, soul-wise in terms of feeling fulfilled, but then also in terms of being able to make a living. That's why I'm teaching the things that I teach, and that's why um, I give away so much in my content. And I'm challenged by people on, like, why would somebody successful um, give all this away for free? And the thing is, I think a lot of people don't appreciate the actual frustration, especially of um, artists and creatives, let alone creative entrepreneurs, that most of what we're giving away for free and the reasoning behind that, even though we also have paid products and things of that nature, is the stuff we give away for free has much more to do with the chip on our shoulder of the the hardship and the pain we experience and the if only I had known this. Oh yeah, that's why like, I give away almost everything I do is yeah. like, I wish I had known this or and, I could have benefited so much if I had known this. And again, I think people underestimate that like even like, I think people underestimate that there are people in your life that weren't even just your parents that did that for you freely and willingly. And you, the difference is you're not attaching the title of guru or expert to right. those people. Right. But if you think about it, 
people have altruistically given to you all the time and it's because either someone else did it to them and they're paying it forward or they wish someone had and that sticks with you. Either the generosity of others sticks with you or the pain of the lack of it sticks with you. Mm -hmm. And then you make choices based on that. And there is a sense of purpose and meaning and value of correcting what you think you know, the world should be or what should exist or what uh, should be there for someone like you. If not you, then someone like you. Yeah. So are you, are you consciously taking a more lifestyle approach to your content now? Or, or are you, is it just a result of where your head is at as you it's go through your own journey? It's both because I, as you know, you've known me long enough to know yeah. that I do everything intentionally. Yeah. But it's, but it takes a minute to understand myself. It's like I have to have that conversation with myself of why am I getting ready to do this and why am I being led here and what is that? And sometimes I, I know and other times I'm just like, I'm going to go with this because it's beyond me, but I'll eventually come to an understanding mm -hmm. um, or at least I optimistically believe that. And Or it'll reveal itself to correct. you. Sometimes you just have to follow an inclination and the meaning will reveal itself. You have itself. to trust the process. Yeah, right, you have to, exactly. You have to trust the process to play itself out. I believe that right. fundamentally in life. I believe in the concept of a grand design more than a grand plan mm -hmm. uh, because as you know the functionality of a design is still fluid in nature which means that it can have um any number of outcomes and, and i love that i love that it, but it's still purposeful it's still intentional it's not chaotic in the sense that uh it's not it's one it's not overly structured but it's not chaotic it's fixed fluid it, it, there's a it's framework. the creative process and i, I mean it's like that. when you're designing it's yeah. like you have to open yourself up to play mm -hmm. in order to see what might possibly come out of it it's like when you're designing a logo or whatever like that you may have to try things that don't really make much sense to you at the moment but you know that you need to explore it and then that you might be able to build on that and it turns into something else but it wasn't it didn't start off as being intentional but you knew that you had to just explore it. And sometimes as we build our careers, as we build our lives, those sorts of things, as we explore a new avenue that we may not know where it's going to lead, does lead somewhere. I always talk about, and you've heard me talk about this, a, a great career being more like a web than a ladder because yes. it has a lot of turns and a lot of jogs and every side jog makes it stronger. It's not a linear path. Exactly. And the more open you are to the sometimes completely incomprehensible opportunities you may be given for some reason or another and where that may lead you or what skill that may give you to make you stronger in another regard that's going to take you somewhere. Sometimes you have to be completely open to that unplanful kind of, uh, I don't know what you would even call it, synergy, you know. So the thing that I'm hearing and the thing that I've experienced, and this actually answers your question, is that most people and most creatives are presented with a linear uh, approach to life. And, or think there should be one. Or think there should be one. Right. But they're presented by that by the majority of people who have not fully embraced creativity. I believe that everyone is a creative. It's a matter of whether you survive as one. And, uh, <laughs> and that's- We and all that's, start off as one, you know? Correct. And then it's like, for most people, beaten out of them right. and, uh, by life. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing about that is, uh, in my opinion, Philip, is that creatives have to endure to be able to approach life in not in a non-linear fashion mm -hmm. in a world where everyone else around them wants to pursue it linearly that's why i've gotten to this realm of 
you know, uh, creativity is a lifestyle, entrepreneurship is a lifestyle, being a content creator is a lifestyle, because it is. It, and again, it's about making these things right size in your life. And the thing is, I felt that was a natural evolution and progression on my part of the understanding of people don't know how to live with this, even if they're successful. Even when people are successful, Philip, they have no idea how to live with their success. Mm. And they have no um, framework for understanding how to move from just uh, satisfying the majority of Maslow's hierarchy now to self-actualizing. Mm -hmm. They get stuck, they plateau at a certain point there of just having their needs and uh, met and having some acknowledgement and everything like that. But they don't know what they themselves actually want because they thought that this and fulfilling all those needs was what they want. But now that that's off the table, well, what now? Yeah. What now? What does What do you do beyond victory? Like, how do you go beyond victory? Like, okay, you accomplished everything that you thought was, oh, I thought if I earn this much money that I will have all I the things I want forever. and I will yeah. be happy and I will like, and you didn't account for the fact that you could actually do it one day. Yeah. You didn't account for the fact, what if I actually win? What if I actually get everything I want, then what? Mm -hmm. And for most people, they don't have a real answer for that because they deemed it to be impossible to begin with. And so they didn't realize, wow, I set the bar way too low for myself because there's life beyond these things that I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And I don't even, and then they don't know how to live with the things that they accomplished. They don't know how to live with that income or that success or with that career. They don't know what comes next for them. They don't know what their purpose is anymore. Okay, well, that's what I was trying to point at, is that you say that you go about things with intention, which I believe is true. I know you well enough to know that. But then I also think that sometimes, even when we achieve those things, we may not have a subsequent plan for it. It may not be the part of some other linear design that sometimes we are given gifts or we are successful in an area we weren't expecting or we're given an opportunity that was you know kismet and we have to roll with it and explore and take a chance and and follow a side jog in the web of our career that we may not have pre-planned right yeah and i know that that must have happened for you actually i had an, a more recent revelation in that i have decided that i'm going to incrementally pick up back again even though i don't need it the side hustle of paid photography because i've fallen back in love with photography you heard it here <laughs> this is awesome now i can hire roberta and... <laughs> yeah. i'll take some headshots for you right now. Like, <laughs> but i've fallen back in love with photography philip and i really like i mean i work so much with it within Wait, my own you brand. know what this is roberto yeah. this is your when i was talking about painting not serving me and I was letting it go yeah. in order to develop and nurture something else. This is your painting. It's coming it back. Your creativity is coming back it, in it, a different way. It is. And the thing is, I've been doing it without like monetizing it. Uh, this venture that I want to monetize is like partly, again, it's a side hustle thing. It's a partly a challenge for myself, but it's also, it'll help me with my interpersonal relationships because mm. I want to do um, headshots. I want to do um, weddings again. I was very good at that. And I want to do like couples photos and it's going to help me expand my interpersonal relationship network outside of like the marketing space and out the, yeah. the conferencing space with, um, you know, very good people, people who can afford me. So, yeah, of um, and, and things of that nature. And it's going to help me meet more people and have uh, the context of meeting those people outside of um, just transactions. Because yes, the people I'm taking photos of, yes, but then 
their network of um, people beyond that, sure. especially at these events. You meet people at the events, the expos and everything like that, and you don't have to do business with them. You can just be like, they can just appreciate and love the photos or they can be friends of the couple and so yeah. on. And so, yeah. And uh, for me, just being able to get out there and to meet more people without it having to always be transactional yeah. is very important. And it also will ground me more. And I feel that the other benefit is just remembering that this thing that I love is something that most people can't do. Mm. Yeah. And I, I was, I was just, I just had a meeting this week with a client and a photographer that we're using for a website. And he is a very talented wedding photographer in Canada, but he's going to be shooting kind of internal um, lifestyle shots. Uh -huh. But I said to him, I said, wedding photographers have always. I've always had a really high level of respect for them because they're in a very fluid situation that has an incredibly high amount of pressure to it. They have to react to completely unexpected events happening and they have to perform because yeah. you, you don't get a do-over. Yep. And I've always, I think that that's amazing. And I, I'm sure you'd be an incredible wedding photographer. Yeah. And you've done it in the past. I've done it in the past, you know. Um, and, but it, you let it go. I let it go. Um, it, and at that time, it was just there was a lot of reasons, but more than anything, there were things that were just making me more money for the time, theoretically, in a consistent manner. Because yeah. you can make a lot of money on the weekends and so on and so forth, and then it's about your speed and the edits and so on and so forth like that. But in terms of the consistency and reliability of that, that was another thing. Now, that, like that's not even something I have to consider. And like I said, uh, for me, doing it is more part of like challenging myself and also um, meeting people, things like getting that. Getting out of the office. Getting out of the office. And then also, um, you know, wanting to take on some of the local uh, photographers and use my leverage to create opportunities for them as second shooters and things of that nature. Oh, wow. Okay. So then I'll be able to mentor in a different way and in a different facet um, is that offline. A, is that, a, is that an, an in, you know... IRL in real life yes. kind of yes. mentoring, teaching relationship that you, you know away from the digital, yep. but it's creating something that's much more personal and humanistic. Exactly so. And again, I think that it, it allows me to again balance. balance things, but also again, like I said, chasing that feeling of seeing mm. the transformation, the impact yeah. in somebody's life, um, both in again delivering for those clients and the people around them and knowing that, oh, that's gonna sit up above somebody's fireplace forever. Like, yeah. uh, but also then in the mentor-mentee relationship, uh, having that direct interaction with somebody and also seeing incrementally their growth, their progress, their progression, and being able to talk with them about it face-to-face, -face, there's so much value in that. I love doing the remote coaching. I love doing the membership groups. Mm -hmm. I love doing those remote calls. Uh, we've done that ourselves. Like yeah. we've worked together on that for building up some things with your brand, but there's nothing that replaces like hands-on, human-to-human yeah. um, conversations. And so I always appreciate that opportunity. Which is exactly why I'm completely appreciating this opportunity to talk to you in person. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that people should be watching out for coming down the pike? So a lot of things, and um, we talked about this before, is um, I'm starting to talk a lot more about not only how I operate my business from the standpoint of all the different ways I've learned over the many years to make money with creativity, to make money online, to use marketing skills and traffic and creative services skills and deploy them, or even online education. But one, I'm revealing and pulling back more of the layer. Like, And, and I've always been very transparent, but now I'm being very, I would say, aggressively transparent in the fact mm. that it's not subtle, 
in the packaging. It's just literally telling you, this is what I did and showing you as well as telling you and walking you through that. And not just in a tutorial fashion, but really expressing, here is where I started with this. Here's where I ended up. And beyond the tactical, here was how I had to think about it. Here's how I had to perceive it. Here's what I had to learn to even make that a possibility. Mm -hmm. Here was the temperament required. So like there's a lot of depth and nuance to these things, but I'm also going to straight up be telling a lot of people more about the dollar amounts, things like that, showing them what more of those screenshots. And then in terms of some things like we talked about personal finance, there's just so much with um, everything that I've done that was like, why didn't I get this directly from a teacher? Or was the only way to learn this in the real world? Was the only way to learn this through hardship? Mm. There's just so much that I just want to put on the table and say, if you've never heard this, here it is. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit BYOL.me forward slash Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's BYOL.me forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. So there, there's a concept that I haven't put out there. I think I've tweeted about it once or twice, but I, and I don't claim to have all the answers for, for anything, Philip, but like I've stumbled onto something that I think makes sense to me in terms of a happiness equation, at least conceptually. And conceptually, I realized that most of us don't have systems or frameworks that add enough consistency to our overall happiness. And I've come up with the idea of this concept called net happiness mm. and the same concept of net worth. Net worth is um, your when you add your assets and your liabilities, the what you have versus what you owe together, is that number positive or negative? Yeah. Right. And so when you think about the things that you sacrifice to get where you are to survive, the cost of living, when you think about uh, the price you've paid to be where you are, and then you think about all of your positive experiences and all the things you gained in return for that, you have to ask yourself do I have net happiness at mm. the end of the day? Yeah. And also in that happiness account, is that happiness account enough right now? Is it enough? Because the thing is you can end up with net happiness, but if it's just a sliver before it would be like, you know, zero, yeah. like that's bad. Because remember, it's all the positives weighed against all the negatives. And then when you balance it out, what's left? And so what we don't do is we don't put systems and things and structure in our life and in our environment to continue to always add to our overall net happiness and to also maintain it in um, a passive way in terms of the this setup means that my threshold is always at least here. And then if I'm having a rough day, how bad would my day have to be to put me at zero net happiness or put me in the negative and put me at a yeah. happiness deficit. And what most people I think are dealing with is a happiness deficit. The sacrifices, the struggles, the hardships right. of a regular day, let alone a bad day, are not being canceled out 
let alone you know completely negated mm -hmm. and then into net positive from what they've gained from all of their hard work and effort and sacrifices and struggles and tribulations, not only in that moment and in that day, but also over the course of their life. I think that you know this this financial metaphor that we're talking about is you've always had that in your content that you've done, but you haven't been talking about the the actual financial part of it as transparently as you're now starting to. Yes. And also I think starting to advocate or pay attention to with the people who follow and you're teaching in your content and the financial aspect and its effect on people's emotional net happiness. Yeah. So one of the things I I think spotted in one of your tweets recently was that you're thinking about a book or a book is in the works? So right now I'm working on more than one book project, but I decided to prioritize one this year. Um, I'm not going to tell anyone the title. It's not called Net Happiness, is it? No. Um, <laughs> That'd that, be a great that's a, larger, that's a larger thesis okay. that I will have to many, many years from now keep refining over a period of time because I also, I, yeah, I'm still single, not married with any kids, <laughs> ladies. Uh, but the All right. um, second you heard it here. So there's uh, so there's an evolution to one's life cycle in which we reevaluate some of those ideas. Absolutely, and that's okay. That being said, right now because so many people know me from the brand that I built with YouTube being my largest vehicle, my largest platform compared to the others, um, I'm making it a priority to put a practical guide that I feel is missing from the market um, around that. And oh, cool. I'm basing it around the idea of this three part uh, in the book Got of it. create, grow, and earn. And the reasoning for that is one, it's also important for my own brand to put out a book, but I've always wanted to do one because I've gained so much from reading people's books that it's like to to not put one out just like seems completely against the grain of like who I am. Like I'm like, okay, I've gotten value from this. I need to do it. Like, yeah. So for me, I need to put out that book. It's very good for my speaking career, obviously. And then it just makes sense as another level because right now all people can do is they can either take my free content in its many forms, whether it's the YouTube channel, the blog well, post. Well, gather it. There's so much of it. And there's so much of it. But like, there, but there's also the value of like having something tangible. So right now, a lot of what I have right. isn't physical. Um, so besides like merch, like yeah. that's the value and that's very just, you know, it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But the thing that I want to do is like right now you have level one, which is all right, consume all my free content. And then level two, um, go into either like my paid program or a digital download product or a coaching call with me or a course, right? And those things are out of a lot of people's budget. I want to put something out there that's somewhere between like this 10 and $25 right. value proposition that gives them real value, a tangible asset, and something that is going to help them build on their own. So I wanted that intermediate step. I wanted that one, two, three instead of, oh, it's one or two. Right. You know, it's binary. I wanted that one, two, three step. And the other thing is, it's the book that I think, if I had had it at the start, would have really made a difference because it would have given me kind of priorities. It's like, mm. focus on what I'm creating and refining my craft and being thoughtful about that and being strategic about that. Grow it and grow the awareness of it, get the traffic, grow the community, build the relationships, the engagement. It's like, okay, and now finally, because I've made something I'm proud of, I've proven that there's demand for it. Now, how do I very thoughtfully monetize it in a way that I'm comfortable with and that 
suits my needs, but also my value system. And see, by focusing on these three things, a lot of people think that they can make something do all of that at once for them. Right. And that's, you know, you need to have a more holistic view of it. Mm. Not everything you do will allow you to be fulfilled creatively while meeting the needs of others and being able to monetize it. You have to understand that sometimes these things, you have to make an inventory of what's creatively satisfying, then make an inventory of what do is in demand to prove that you can serve the needs of others and not just yourself emotionally, and then something that people value enough to do a transaction it's like with the, you. It's and a Venn diagram. It is. It is. It's Ikagi. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe that's the Japanese word for it. It's it's, okay. a, it's a kagi where we have these multiple overlapping rings, mm -hmm. right? And so it's that balance of sometimes there will be things that do all of those things. But the thing is, if you do enough work, and that's why I um, do encourage people to not, I know people feel this is so controversial, right? But like, the, I am not an advocate for the quality over quantity philosophy because I don't believe in making those things combative. I believe that there is quality that, yes, you could go all in on it because that'll be emotionally satisfying for you as an artist to feel fulfilled. But the reality is, if you work in a world of deadlines like we have, you know there's a limit to the threshold of being able to do that and then meet the demand and the needs of the client, the deadline, the because we know that quantity is consistency, but it's also inventory from a business standpoint. Mm -hmm. And sometimes volume and inventory is a very realistic characteristic if we're talking about monetizing anything, is you need multiple assets for you working to bring in what they need to bring in to meet your um, your, de your demand, your financial needs. Right. Um, so just doing something that you love that you knock out of the park once in a while, it's not a really good idea for consistent cash flow. Yeah. It's not a good idea for consistent traffic either. Right. And it's not sometimes enough to represent that you're not a fluke. Mm -hmm. And so what's the balance point? of these things working together. But what sits above them in the hierarchy to me is value. Because the thing is, no matter how good you do something or how often you do something, if someone doesn't value it, that's irrelevant. Yeah. And so philosophically, I'm pushing back against people with that. I also believe that the um, no artist, athlete, or musician has ever gotten better at their craft doing less of it versus more. Yeah. So I'm pushing back on this. And the reason I bring this up is, um, for me, in the paradigm of create, grow, earn, and realizing that not everything can always do those things equally well or as well as you need to, creating enough based on where your priority is right this moment is something that I want more people to embrace. And it's okay to accept that you might be in a phase of your life or career mm -hmm. where you have the maybe you have the luxury of just creative expression and right. qualitative work and meaningful work. Or if you're somewhere where you just really need to focus on your financial priorities, you need to be made whole financially, there is no shame oh, yeah. in for a period of time doing what you need to do in order to earn what you need to earn as long as you're doing it legally and you're doing it coming by it honestly. There is no shame. And I hate this idea of selling out of like, if you have to provide and take care of your family, oh, yeah. you have to meet your financial obligations and you're doing it earnestly and within the bounds of the law, you should not be shamed in doing that at the expense of what you might find more fulfilling because you don't have the leverage yet. 
And then if you also need uh, whatever it is to get a reputation, to build a foundation, to allow things to happen for you, to create your own opportunities, and that's going to require you to just be more consistent, even to the point of redundancy, that's okay too. I just want people to understand, well, where are you at right now? Mm -hmm. Is it that you're going to do these things in some combination that serves you? Or is there one you need to focus on right now? Right. Or are there two that you need to focus on right yeah. now? Maybe you're not hurting for money, but you want to have a strong body of work overall, and you also need to prove your consistency, especially when you're young. When you're young, the best thing you can do is prove consistency right. instead of um, how exceptional you are. When you're young, you need to have a reliable track record more than you need to be um, you know, knocking it out of the park every time. Because that'll, that'll come, and that's okay, because a lot of people don't even know what knocking it out of the park looks like. Yeah, well, and it can look different for different people. Exactly. So yeah. that thing is so subjective, but consistency is not really that subjective. That's a measurable thing. Mm -hmm. And you can compete more easily, I find, on consistency than anything else. And no one will advocate for that because of the, the romanticism of just being the best versus what is sustainable at this phase in your life or your career. Like we don't, we don't advocate for sustainability at all in lifestyle, in spending, in, um, in even ambition in terms of like saying, hey, maybe we scale things back so that we make this right size in our life and we don't overwork ourselves, but we figure out what work we can do that meets our, our needs, you know? and doesn't just put us in survival mode. But like, we don't all have to become millionaires, Philip. We don't have to get that. You know, it's fine if you desire that. But you can also ask yourself, do you need to do it now? And do you need to do it at the expense of sacrifice now? Or are you willing to get there eventually right. and sustainably mm -hmm. over a period of time and do it in such a way to where you can enjoy that time in other ways? I just want people to be thoughtful about that. Yeah, and I think that, and it is different for different people. Some people need to, like, I, I personally came from a fine art world where I was hungry and starving till I was 28 years old and then had to turn a corner until I was, you know, had to find a career that was self-sustainable. And yeah. I had to focus 100% on that. And in order to do that, I had to make a difficult decision of putting down my paints for 20 years. But that choice, really served me because now you know i had an incredibly successful career i'm i'm comfortable and i can spend my time the way i want to spend my time yeah. and sounds like you know you are very much at the same place where you've built a very successful and stable business which is affording you the time to pay attention to passion projects essentially or passion focuses as you deem you want to when i was struggling financially i had no ability to focus on i knew who i was and i knew what i wanted to some extent at least, I couldn't do anything about it because I had no leverage. Mm -hmm. Putting myself in a position to where now I have the freedom to wake up when I want, spend my time how I want, work on things that are meaningful to me and not worry about, for the most part, how they perform. Right. I can do things on my own terms in a way that I, most people can't and I really appreciate that. And it came with sacrifices and it came as a result of choices. Well, and I think it also came with putting money in the bank, you know, figurative money in the bank, yes. your content money in the bank. You are living off interest to a certain extent right now. 
Yeah. And I think that that financial metaphor has really played itself out in your own life pretty clearly. It, it has. Um, it's why I have started teaching people about the concept of uh, passive income and affiliate marketing and different ways you can approach that. Right. And then also owning your own products and assets because uh, I think that one of the frameworks that I've approached for financial freedom are what I call the four R's of entrepreneurship. You have to own the relationship, which is access to the customer. When you are an employee, you do not. You have to own the resource by which you do your job and make your craft and your living. And in a lot of cases, a lot of people don't. One of the things I did before I left corporate was I actually resourced myself. I got myself the resources and tools that I needed to do my same work to mm -hmm. my same level of ability. And then there's the responsibility. You take all the responsibility, the ownership, the liability, the, the yes, cost. And that's what entitles you to the fourth R, the lion's share of the revenue. And as long and whoever has mastery of those other three has mastery of the fourth. And that's why when you're an employee- The means of production. Exactly so, because that's <laughs> what it is. It's the means of production. The relationship is where the transaction happens and the, the resources are what allows the work to be done and has that value. And then again, who took responsibility? Who made the investment in those things? Who is at fault? Like taking on that who's on the front line. Mm -hmm. And so when you have those things, again, the means of production, of course you benefit the most and have the outcome. Right. And I just want people to understand that and how they approach their life and their career, whether it's with a side hustle, whether it's with freelancing, whether it's uh, starting their own business, entrepreneurship, or being a content creator, is that if, if you don't have ownership of those things, and if you don't have control over your time, the work that you're doing, and the interactions that you have. Like you don't have control at that point. And what would you have to do? What would you have to change about yourself to assert that control over your life and really take ownership and responsibility for your life? So I'm gonna ask you a question that I ask every person that I interview and I usually give them, I hip them to the fact I'm gonna ask them before I do, but I didn't okay. do that with you. All good. And But I, I have no doubt that you'll be able to handle this question, which is, do you have a personal mantra or a manifesto that you try to live your life by? Create something awesome today. There you go. Hey, tag phrase. That was quick. Yeah. He was ready. He was totally ready. And and the, the short version of what that means, and it's like it was the mantra that saved my life, was every day am I making an active effort to create something that I'm proud of, mm. that I can put my name to, that I can take ownership of, and was it done to the best that I could do with the time and resources? Was it the best I could do with what I have, where I am right now? This uh, Theodore Roosevelt quote that my friend Amy swears by is, um, uh, do the best you can with what you have, where, where you, you are. are. Yeah. And I really live by that. And so Create Something Awesome Today is about what can I do with what I have where I am to the best of my ability that I can say that I'm proud of? And am I doing that actively every single day that is my manifesto because it is a mandate for success and taking action in my life because it means that regardless of whatever else I had to do today, what I owe to myself is to do meaningful work. That is what I owe to myself. That is the responsibility that I have to myself to treat myself like someone that I love and someone that I'm responsible for. And to do that is to allow myself and to, to act with meaning in mind, to do meaningful things, even if I have to only allocate 15 minutes a day, mm. what can I create with that 15 minutes a day if that's all I have for myself that was worthwhile and that I can say, good job, buddy. So Roberto, where can people find you? So you guys can find me on all my socials at Roberto Blake, pretty much in everything. 
Twitter if you want to reach out and ask a question, Instagram if you want some motivation and personal development, and LinkedIn if you want to connect professionally. You can find my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash RobertoBlake2, that is the number two, with over 1,400 videos now, I think, of free uh, content. And if you ever want to work with me, if you want a mentorship, you can visit awesomecreatoracademy.com. Awesome. Roberta Blake, thank you so much for making time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Phil. I'm sure I'm going to talk your ear off after this over coffee. I hope so. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.